0: Sunday, the 7th of January, was a quiet day in West Cork, with a possible hint of spring in the air. A clearance came in from the Atlantic. There was little or no wind, and the waters in Bantry Bay and around Whiddy Island were calm as the tanker Betelgeuse unloaded her cargo of crude oil. And then, in the first hour of a peaceful new morning...
1: morning when disaster struck. The Betelgeuse had unloaded about 80,000 tonnes of crude oil, believed to be two-thirds of its cargo, when the fire broke out. The cause of it isn't known, but it was followed by a small explosion. Then what the people of Bantry describe as a huge blast. That tore the 120,000-ton tanker in two, spraying burning oil into the bay, and rocked
2: the town of Bantry.
0: That was the first most of us heard of the disaster at Whitty. And later in the afternoon, Mary Cotter of the island gave Tom McSweeney some more details.
3: I was in bed, but I I looked out the window. I thought it was... um, I thought it was... Tom the first to see. And I pulled back the curtain uh, uh, near the bed and I looked out and I saw the blaze, all the red... It was was a real red inferno now. And... uh, And... I couldn't see any flash, and you know what I said? No, really and truly, I said this is in, this
4: is into the water.
0: Journalist Peter Tynan O'Mahony on holiday in Bantry, and living on the Glengariff roadside of the harbour, gave a detailed account of what he saw. At about
2: one o'clock this morning, uh, I was uh, uh, sitting in a bungalow overlooking Woody Island, two miles away, when I heard a thump. I thought for a moment it was the wind and the roof. And suddenly I saw my own shadow on the wall. I saw a a tanker bursting into flames. And in a matter of moments, uh, and so quickly, the flames spread from the tanker and along the the jetty that adjoins the terminal. Flames uh, reached to a great height in, in ballooning, Passion, they reached certainly 600 feet high. Uh, I tried to take some photographs. I then uh, got into my car and I drove to the nearest phone, which brought me about uh, three quarters of a mile nearer the scene. And as I was trying to take a photograph from that point, there was a, a huge explosion, and I could see the ship roll and seemed, it seemed to split. In Bantry, there was almost uh, an air of utter panic as the rescue services went into action. Medical teams were rushed out to the island. Firefighters came from all parts of West Cork and some from Cork City itself. The local nur- nurses from the Bantry Hospital were down at the jetty. Nobody was allowed near the jetty. In fact, the town was cordoned off by the Gardaí.
0: In the news at 1.30, we heard reports of the press conference given by Don Ash, Gulf Oil Terminal Manager, and Bill Finnegan, Chairman of Gulf Oil Limited Ireland.
5: The total stock in the tank farm at the present time is 4.5 million barrels. No. No. I think the answer to that is, gentlemen, I think it's a very fair question. Uh, one, that the public have a right to ask. Uh, the construction of this terminal, as we said originally, with the funding and the safety precautions, which many of you have seen, uh, is such that unless something really unfortunate happens, we don't foresee that as a potential bomb at all. But how, okay. how can you rule this out? You, we can't you, rule you, it you out. You seem I ha- to go from emergency to emergency. No, as I said at the moment, I have not ruled it out. We say that we feel... At this present juncture that we have the vessel in the offshore jetty beginning to get under control as far as the fire is concerned and the oil that is alight on the water seems to be confined now to that area and doesn't seem to be coming ashore and even if it did come ashore remember the tank farm itself is situated pretty high up on the terminal and is also protected by all the wall and of course by all the firefighting equipment on the island itself
0: Assurances of safety, which somehow were not believed by Whiddy Islanders, and who evacuated the island with alacrity.
2: Suddenly, uh, in the night, we heard the the noise of small motorboats, and suddenly there appeared some of the uh, six or seven families who live on Whiddy Island, numbering about forty. They were coming aboard, uh, coming on the mainland. Uh, one young mother was carrying her baby in arms. Apparently they had heard the explosion and absolutely made a, 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 a an exit for the
0: mainland. Last Monday, I visited Whitty Island and walked out to Mrs Noreen O'Leary's house, which is the nearest house to the oil terminal tank farm. It is, in fact, only a few hundred yards from the O'Leary's house, and Nori O 'Leary is still visibly shaken by her experience.
3: when my daughter got out and uh, got out of the bathroom and um, she caught she saw that you know she knew there was something kind of queer, and she looked out the window and she saw this black smoke, so she came down to her bedroom and she said, uh, called her father and she said uh, i 'm sure she said golf is in fire, so he jumped out of bed and um, uh, pulled up pants and him, and he looked out the window and we saw the black smoke with kind of flames coming first. And as we were looking then, there was a, you know, big kind of... I couldn't describe it any other way, only balls of fire uh, coming up through the smoke. So then he got out and he went out on the road with my second son to see what was happening. So I was inside here then and my neighbour down the road, she rang me and she said that they had rang from the terminal to... Get all the men on the island to come down to quench the fire, so I said I couldn't let my husband go at home because my children were going pure delirious around the house, so i um um I told her that he wouldn't go at home anyway, so I went off then and then the when I opened the window, there was all kind of thing falling on my sh- on the sheds here in the yard, so I opened the window and I called my husband to come on come in because I said something had happened, and in the meantime then the blast came. And he was down by the shed, over across there, you know, looking out at the jetty, really. And he himself and this, my son, and he got he lost his senses for a couple of minutes. He just couldn't describe now what happened. But I asked my son, and he said, um, he said it seemed something hit me, but I didn't know what it was. So he came over then, and he said, take whatever you whatever you have on you. He said, come on, we're going. So we made for the shore, then we called into, we met the people at the post office and they were, they had their, Mrs Desmond's grandchildren were all there and their plant, they were pulled, just pulled away the way they were and their nightclothes and everything and they said we we're making for the, the land anyway, for pantry. So um, we went off down to the bank and we put, got our children into the boat and there was another... Boat on the water already because they had been out visiting or something and they saw the, the fire and they returned here to the island for one of their husbands. And uh, as we were on the water, the whole water lit up. Now we could see all the boats in the bay that were going making for the, the mainland. And um, uh, we thought then everything was gone then, but we weren't worried as long as we made the, the mainland.
0: Did you, by any chance, at any time, think that you mightn't make the mainland?
3: Oh gosh, I was frightened of getting to the to the to the tank farm here, and I thought, then, well, that was it, you know. But my husband was saying, if we were on the water, we might be some bit safe. But I, I had the feeling in my bones that I was going to get steel across my back any minute. You know, from this thing I heard falling in the yard, I didn't know what that was, and the flames were coming into our yard here before we left.
0: Actually coming into the yard?
3: Actually falling down into the yard. Flames, now, not those bones of fire that I saw but like, the flames out of it. We're actually falling into our yard.
0: Noreen, it's always a hard question to ask, and I think it may be a harder question to answer, but you were frightened. Can you describe for me just exactly how frightened you were?
3: Oh, my God! i thought I thought the end was near, really.
0: Were you frightened because you were seeing something or experiencing something that you had never thought of or that you had never imagined? or were you frightened for your own physical being and for the physical being of your family? or what was it? Could you can you even think of well, what kind of fright it was?
3: I really couldn't because I, I mean, when I came down, downstairs, I thought of my husband's mates on the jetty. So I, I knelt down and I sent the rosary, a decade of the rosary for them, that a the good God would save them, you know, because I knew that they hadn't a hope, really, you know. So, really, I could not, now I couldn't say, like, you know, it's all a kind of a, a I don't know I don't know what, how I could describe it. But really, I never knew, and I'm living here, and there's, there was tankers coming and going. My husband walked on the jetty. I never thought there was anything, or nobody ever told us that there was that danger. Oh, you know, it's very hard. I really haven't come to yet, you know. It's very hard to say. I find my whole life, my whole living and life and everything is all gone up in smoke, should I say.
0: The roads on Whitty Island are not really roads. They're Boreen's adequate to the islanders' purposes, of course, but the road from the jetty to the oil terminal was not built to carry the volume and the weight of the traffic it carries at present. The surface is now a gooey, oily mess with potholes old and new. One suspects, really, that it will actually melt away and disappear into the drains on either side. Postmistress Kitty Desmond remembers that night.
4: Well, I was waiting up for my son and daughter to come in as they were on the mainland visiting their sister. And it was roughly about 25 past 12, I'd say, when they arrived. And uh, we had a cup of tea after coming, and uh, my daughter left to go home, and we went to bed. So I, I'd actually say it would be about 20 minutes or a quarter to 1 when the phone rang. And uh, I went to the phone, and Mr Connolly asked me, to leave my, leave my husband, collect all the men he could and to come west because there was a fire in the tanker at the Baird. So I asked him, was that the jetty? And he said, yes. So my husband and son got out and, and my son went down for my son-in-law to come and they were to collect the, as many as they could. So when my husband went around the house here, he said that it was very bad and that we'd have to try to get out of the island. So um, we, he was just, I was in bed at the time, so when he, the blast went off and he came back in, he was out around again and he said he thought he heard something falling on the trees back of the house. So at that time my daughter was just arriving. for she was to stay with me while they were worst at the gulf. So at that we all made the shore and we made for the mainland, yeah.
0: The were you frightened? Can you remember being frightened yourself at the time? Kitty? I
4: was. I was very frightened. I thought that if we had the water made and gone from the island, that we'd be safe.
0: Did you know what you were frightened of?
4: Well, I was frightened of the flames. I thought that it it might spread onto the island, and the tanks being on the island, I was afraid they'd explode.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you see the? Did you actually see the flames from here at that time?
4: Well. I didn't, for I, I didn't look at the moment. But I could see him from the the sea, and we going across from the boat, and we cross into the mainland.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: When when you were crossing from the island to the mainland, there must have been quite a few boats. Uh, what what was going on? Was there much talk? Was there much?
4: Well, no, really. Everyone was only trying to make for the mainland as soon as we could.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. You were on the water when the big explosion happened? No,
4: we were at home here when the big explosion occurred, yeah.
0: When you got to Bantry, were there places open for you?
4: Oh yes, Mr John Minahan was on the pier where he had some cards, and he opened up a house for us. Also, Mr Kevin Barry, they were all very kind and good to us, yeah.
0: yeah. When did you realise or when did you know for definite that there had been such a major
4: disaster? Well, we really expected that it would be major like when the fire went up on the jetty, yeah.
0: Did you know then that people actually were dead?
4: Well, my son said that whoever would be on the jetty would be dead.
0: Young Jimmy O'Sullivan travelled those Boreens on his way to work that day. He did not return. Neither will he travel those roads again to visit his wife's parents or to visit with Kitty Desmond.
4: Uh, Jimmy O'Sullivan visited here with his wife on Stephens' night. Yeah. They were over here with me. He was married to an island girl next door he. yeah, And they visited us on S- Stevens's night. He was in with his people-in-law. He'd be sadly missed. Yes, They'd be sadly missed. We know them all.
0: Michael Buckley of Venice Keene was in Bantry that night. I
6: remember I was on my way home from the dance in Bantry and I was alongside the West Lodge at the time, and I heard a loud explosion. I thought it, at the time that it was a very bad clap of thunder. Yeah,
0: When you say you heard a loud explosion, did you actually think you heard an explosion, or did you think you heard thunder?
6: I thought it was thunder.
0: So, what did you do after that?
6: I drove on, I drove home, but I, as I drove home, I saw the sky getting redder. So I thought that we were in for a very wet thunderstorm or something. I knew there was something wrong there, no? But they didn't register it, all, no?
0: And what was the first information you got of the fact that there had been a disaster at Woody?
6: When I got up next morning, the news at 8 o'clock, Not registered to narrate.
0: Willie McCarthy in Ballanin, which is quite some distance from Bantry, was leaving his fiancee home.
6: I left home
7: about half past twelve to take my girlfriend home and about a mile from the village I was stopped at the bottom of a lane. And I'd say at the time last between half past twelve, it would be the one o'clock or thereabouts. She said to me, Did you hear did you hear a bang? She said it sounded like thunder. And I said yeah and took them all north of it. Just sounded like Straight clap of thunder, and that was it. So I passed it off. There was no more about it. So the following morning, then, just as I was getting up, about a quarter past seven or so, a helicopter passed down over the village. Not long afterwards, another one passed down. So I didn't turn the the on, but not went down to pick her up again to go to work. She said to me that I heard the noise. So that was the first I heard of it in.
0: is a quiet little village near Barley Cove. Tim Kingston won't return home. He was a great family man and a man who was highly admired and liked by everybody and he'll be missed very much
6: by everybody around, I think.
0: There's a comfortable little farmhouse tucked into the slopes of Thrush overlooking the oil terminal from the Glengariff side John O'Shea lives there with his wife and children and two adventurous kittens who took a fancy to my car. Was John frightened?
7: Well, I suppose the best way I could describe it is that I was, for once in my life, really terrified. Uh, if it's difficult to try and express my horror, to see this terrible fire and it blazing up into the sky with balls of fire about, say, a thousand feet up And really, really frightening. Because uh, we could see it, the fire, and it running along the water, say. I think at the time it was about five or six metres a minute, you know. And uh, we could, it's easy to observe that from here, because around the perimeter of the the tank farm, you've got lights. And you could just see light after light fading away as the fire overcome it. Was there noise? The noise was like a continuous thunderstorm. It was terrifying. You could feel vibration all around the place. You if anywhere that there was anything loose you could hear it vibrate.
0: It so, was ter- So it wasn't just terror of seeing something that you had never seen before. You were actually terrified for yourself and your family physically?
7: Physically for my family, it, it, it,
0: that was the most important thing that,
7: was, that that worried me because seeing the fire run along the water and it coming in, encroaching on the shoreline on our side of the bay as, as it appeared to me at that time because the heat was so intense we could actually feel it where we are here which is over a mile, a mile to mile and a half from the terminal where, where the accident happened and uh, if it should come at the density of heat and fire that was there, it would catch fire to the foreshore and onto the gorse that's in the area here, and it should travel for miles. I had considered at that time to to shift the car and tractor and any other thing that would have an explosive thing in it to a, a distance away from the house, lest that the heat might explode it.
0: Have you ever had terror like that before, John?
7: I can't say I've ever had. I've never had... I I have a a fear of fire, but, I mean, this was terrible, terrible. Because if you'd look at it, you you could just see straight away that nothing could live there. It was so terrifying.
0: The light, it apparently cast a fair share of light all around. Well, at times...
7: The light, there was a, a red, a desperate red glow, kind of a yellowish-red glow, and that was there. And now and again, you'd get this ball of fire lighting up in the sky, and it was brighter than any sun we'd have in the finest day in summer. And the whole area would be brilliantly lit up, just like lightning, but not that brilliant white, but you know what it It was terrifying,
0: and this echo of thunder does it? Does this recent tragedy in, 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 at, at Whitty, coupled with various other things that have happened over the years, does it affect your attachment to the lovely area you live in? Do you, do, you, do you feel somehow that something is lost, that something is gone?
7: Well, that's going to be a difficult thing to answer in that the first thing that's gone are some of my very best friends. They're gone. The area is... Is being to me at the moment is being murdered for financial gain. I I know a lot of people may despise me for saying such a thing like this. I've been all my life working and going from town to town and hovel to hovel and digs when I couldn't afford better. And to have some place that you can call your own and find yourself in a situation like this, it's it would
0: make you wonder a lot. The fear that a conflagration of this particular kind, could happen again? Is that a real fear now? I mean, it's very evident. It has been there all the time, but nobody wanted to um,
7: to say, or, or uh, how would I put it, to make themselves understand that it could happen. It, it has happened. There's always that
0: risk. John, you lost friends. Each of the seven men who died, even each of the seven local men who, who, who lost their lives in this explosion, were personally known to you. One in particular... Uh, Mr. Warner, Captain Warner, you knew very well. Dave,
7: yes, I know Dave very, very well. When Dave originally came to Bantry, he was working with one of the contractors on the uh, construction of the terminal. And um, from there, he transferred to the Gulf Isle Company, and he became one of their... He was first a tug captain, I understand, and then he became one of their um, pilots. So, I had great recourse to him, because he built a house, which was in my late father's property. So, he he used to spend a lot of time with my father and mother and from that reason i knew him very very well so the, n- not alone me but the whole community in the area i have lost one of the best people that this area ever had for a youth he done everything that was possible he converted the basement of an old church and made it into a disco he was one of the staunch men who supported and done done immense work for the, um, the Lifeboat Institute. He ran all their functions and there was no work too hard for him. Anything that was for a needy cause, Dave had a shoulder to the wheel at all times.
0: Presenting a special edition of the News at 1.30 last Monday, Keanu Hegate gave this thumbnail sketch of the history of Gulf Oil in Bantry.
8: The Gulf Oil Terminal was opened by the Taoiseach Jack Lynch in May of 1969, and from the start it was an unusual arrangement. The company was the only operator using Bantry Bay at the time, and effectively it was the sole authority controlling its own operations. The government decided at that time not to set up an independent harbour authority. From the start there was a bad record on safety precautions. In May of 1971, the then Minister for Transport and Power, Brian Lenehan, told the oil there had been four oil spillages since 1968, In each case, prosecutions were brought, and fines of £250 twice, £200 and £25, were imposed. There were also three minor escapes of oil which didn't warrant prosecution. Mr Lenehan said he was satisfied Gulf Oil was doing everything possible to prevent spillages. Then, three years later, in the autumn of 1974, there was a really big spillage. Over half a million gallons of oil escaped from a faulty tanker valve, and the minister then accused Gulf Oil of breaking an understanding with the government, by having too many ships in the bay at the one time.
0: Being a frequent visitor to Bantry Bay over the past ten years, Peter Tynan-O'Mani observes keenly the comings and goings in the bay, and he has noticed an increase in tanker traffic over the past few months.
9: May I just cast back to, say, what we have sort of seen from where we stay, that over the years has been... A very considerable traffic week in week out of tankers entering bantry, possibly on the average of four then about two and year, two and a half years ago or so, the number dropped uh, to precisely possibly one a week, two a week since the first of November. <clears throat> And I understand, in the wake of the both the industrial and the civil disorders in Iran, and then three weeks ago, um, an incident at the oil terminal port that serves Lisbon, where a tanker collided with a, a breakwater, that tankers and shuttle vessels serving that port have been diverted. Now, some of those vessels certainly have been diverted to Bantry. And in the week before the explosion, to my knowledge, to my observation, in one three-day period, there were five tankers in the bay. One of those was the very large crude carrier owned by Gulf, the Universe Ireland. When it came to birth at the witty Terminal there was another shuttle tanker on the inner side of the jetty. Further down the bay, standing off Bearhaven, were three tankers. One of those was the Betelgeuse. The Betelgeuse certainly came up the bay on Saturday. I didn't see it docking because of the the weather conditions, it was misty rain. But on Sunday morning, I looked at my glasses and it struck me she looked a bit rusted. And I would almost say, having watched these vessels for quite quite a number of years, that a bit ramshackle. Later in the afternoon, she had risen quite noticeably out of the waterway. As they offload their cargo of oil, the ship rises quite considerably out of the water. Um, It's very dramatic to see a vessel like Universe Ireland arrive low down on the water with something in the region of 300,000 tonnes of oil, and in two days it rises like a skyscraper. It really sits, dominates the the jetty itself and even the gantry, which is quite considerable.
0: It is perhaps worth noting here that we are not talking about domestic oil or lubricating oil or even petrol. We are talking about unrefined crude oil which contains all the different end products into which it will eventually be refined. It is highly inflammable, and the gases it produces are extremely dangerous. Consequently, no matter what the safety precautions are, there must always be a high-risk factor wherever it is being loaded, unloaded or stored. Living right alongside the oil terminal tank farm, was the O'Leary family aware of this danger?
3: I never knew, and I'm living here, and there's... There was tankers coming and going. My husband walked on the jetty. I never thought there was anything... or Nobody ever told us that there was that danger.
0: Did you ever even think of it? Did you ever imagine it?
3: Never. I could never imagine it, that, that such a thing could happen.
0: Noreen, did Gulf Oil, at any time previous to this, did Gulf Oil personnel ever bring the Islanders together and suggest some form of drill or give some form of fire drill, emergency drill, in the case of an emergency that has just happened?
3: No, no, none at all. We just were living here, never knew we were living near the bomb we were living near. They never approached us at all at all.
0: Due to the understandable pressures on Gulf Oil's personnel in the aftermath of the disaster, a company spokesman was not available to speak to me when I was in Bantry at the weekend. They did, however issued the following statement to me yesterday. Gulf Oil shares in the grief at the recent tragic loss of life in the tanker explosion at its Whitty Island terminal. The company also sympathises with the residents of the island at the shock caused to them. In the event of an emergency with regard to the terminal itself, Gulf emergency procedures include the sounding of a siren and immediate activation of emergency plans. These plans worked extremely efficiently in the recent disaster and enabled Gulf Oil staff to safely protect the tank installations at the terminal. Gulf's employees on the terminal on the night of the explosion acted not only in accordance with their training, but in a manner beyond the call of duty and showed great courage. Among the staff active that night, were members of two families resident on the island. In the recent emergency, families on Whitty Island were advised to leave the island by the Gaurdi. Fishermen are angry and frightened for their livelihoods. Environmentalists are angry and worried. Whitty Islanders are shocked and unsure. What can be done, they ask? Have we any recourse... Have we, as a country, any control over companies like Gulf Oil? Former Minister for Industry and Commerce, Mr Justin Keating, spoke about that on the telephone in last Monday's News at One Thirty. Firstly, I think the sense of shock is great
1: everywhere because this is a major disaster. It's the first one we've had and the sense of sympathy for a lot of dependents. Obviously, the people who were killed, uh, most of the men with young families so that that's the, the first thing the second thing is that traditionally oil companies as i found indeed more than 10 years ago when i was making a television program about witty uh, are inclined to be secretive they don't tell people uh, as much as i believe the public have a right to know uh, there's no question of knowing causes at this moment uh, but i think we have to have a thorough and powerful investigation powerful in the sense of being able to uncover the facts Uh, so that we know what happened, that the thing is not swept away or covered up. Uh, The third thing seems to me to be this, that we've had spills in, certainly when I was in government, in Irish waters that you mentioned, but if one follows the news internationally, there are disasters of tankers colliding, of blowing up. There was the tanker that had to be towed out and sunk in the Atlantic not very long ago in Irish waters in a way that was worrying to many of us. The oil companies are extremely powerful internationally, and nation-states do not seem to be able to control what they do, uh, either in exploration or, indeed, in the price of oil or in the way they run their ships. These ships have got very big over the last quarter of a century, and the dangers are very great. Uh, If one country introduces strong regulations, the companies simply go and register the ships somewhere else. So I think we need a much more powerful international agency because the companies do not seem to be able to police their own shipping properly, and we run the risk of more and larger disasters if they are not taken in hand by some powerful agency quickly.
0: It was my first trip to Whitty Island, a peaceful, calm place. I would like to return again sometime in happier circumstances. But as a result of this disaster, people's attitudes have undergone a noticeable change. There's an uncertainty about the future, and nervousness, and the islanders are only now beginning to think about the future again. What was life like on the island before this, I wondered?
3: Was, you know, we had a nice, sociable life, like, you know, we lived very quietly and all we all, you know, our neighbours and all, we were a kind of a close community, you know, and uh, life was, the island was, I couldn't, you know...
0: Before this, would you ever have thought of leaving the island? Oh, gosh,
3: no, no. We have a house on the mainland, and I never even considered leaving. You know, because we were very happy here. You know, yeah,
0: because you're isolated oh, in a sense. You're, uh, you're an island community. You don't have a church. You have to go to the uh, mainland for, for, for mass. Your children have to go to the mainland to school. Uh, you're you're missing a lot of the, well, what people on mainland say are the comfort, the essential comforts of life, um, you would still say it was a good life?
3: Oh, yes, definitely, I would. I definitely no, would.
0: what you've had time to think. What do you feel now?
3: My God, I feel I don't know how we could ever live here again, you know. If, if those tankers come in here again, uh, oh, I, I don't, I would really, I don't know. I, don't, I could never see myself settling down here again.
0: In other words, you don't have the same attachment for your house, for your farm, for your island now that you did have exactly seven days ago.
3: Well, I have the same. I have the same regard for my island. I, I love this place really, and I love. I, I love my home here and everything. But what? What's the use? You have this fear in you all the time. If if anybody got the fright we got, my God, looking down on a, on a jetty burning out, we didn't know what was going to happen any minute. You could never again again be happy, could you? What
0: do you think is going to happen, Noreen?
3: I don't know. I really don't know.
0: Do you yourself personally think that Gulf Oil should pull out of Whitty Island, or what?
3: Well, you see, that would be selfish for us to say, really, I suppose, because they've given so much employment. They've given so many employment, you know. And uh, it wouldn't be for us to say that, you know.
0: But at the same time, you yourself said that you won't feel comfortable here. Something has gone from here for you. Do you think you should be given some kind of safeguards or that the island people should be consulted about what's going to happen in the future? The
3: the island people should be consulted, and they weren't consulted in the past. We were only very minor detail, but we'll have to make our views. We'll have to put our position before somebody now.
0: There may be, in the Bantry area, a conflict between the need to preserve the area scenically and the real need for jobs. You can't eat scenery, somebody said, and Bantry people are aware of this. And in spite of the tragedy and their very real and personal sense of loss, they do not want Gulf oil to pull out. They may seek assurances and greater safety measures, but they need the jobs. There's a great need
9: for the economic source of Gulf, the... um financial injection that Gulf has provided here in the last 10-12 years there is a consciousness about the scenery the fears for uh, pollution the fears of pollution uh, there, is that, there is that consciousness about the environment there is a conflict the people want, witty, they want the Gulf people to continue, they are afraid of losing their jobs a lot of them have young families, have built houses, have mortgages. They are concerned. It is a, a market town. It's mainly a shopping town. It serves a huge area from the Kaha Mountains and the Glengariff side to the Muntavara Peninsula. It is the centre of a rural community. The town's population is, exceeds just about 3,000. There are very few industries here. There are two, two small local factories, but uh, I don't think their employment figures exceed 120. The Gulf certainly employing somewhere in the region of 200 people is, is the main source of income here.
0: Is it possible for Bantry people to now... Uh, considering in hindsight what happened uh, just seven days ago or almost seven days ago when I happened to be speaking to you is it possible for them to say well okay we now know what can happen we now know there is a real danger and to come to terms with it
9: that will that is coming that awareness that consciousness is, is coming but for the moment there is a great personal shock.
0: And that shock reaches out to villages and townlands some miles away from Bantry. Glengareth, for instance, where Charlie Brennan and Nie Cornelius O'Shea won't visit Bernard Harrington's again. There's a place called Borland up in the fastnesses of the mountains between Glengareth and Kilgarvan, and there's a wife and children up there who don't really understand what has happened to Dennis O'Leary. Liam Shanahan from Balladahob will not travel the winding road over the mountain down to Balladahob again after his day's work.
1: He was a fine, jolly, hard-working young man, a great poetry man, made a pound and been a pound, and any company he was ever in, he was the heart and soul of a company. Was he a good neighbour? No, no better, no better. He couldn't anything he wanted done. If he thought he wanted done, he'd go and do it without you even having to ask him.
0: Would he be badly missed?
1: He'd be missed by the people locally, not in his own wife and family. He's a terrible ass to them and to the people locally around Baudiard.
0: There were also 43 Frenchmen who were killed. 43 Frenchmen who will not return to their various homes in Brittany and elsewhere. They are also remembered and their families are sympathised with by Bantry people. But there is no going back. Life must go on and it is not likely that Gulf oil will leave Bantry.
9: I don't think in the situation that Gulf stand at the moment they are an international corporation. They are American. They have Irish connections in the original foundation of the company. That their Irish chairman is an Irishman, Bill Finnegan. They certainly are very conscious of their moral obligation to this community. I cannot see Gulf pulling out a witty. The only thing I would offer is that if they continue to run the operation here, that there must be a state authority to oversee that the very greatest safety measures are adopted, that nothing, absolutely nothing, is left to chance that would breed another disaster, as we have seen? That nothing,
0: absolutely nothing is left to chance as far as you can see. But as long as there are tanks on Whitty Island, there is always the possibility of a recurrence of what we had last Monday night.
9: Yes, we can say that it is a hazard. Nobody can ever say that it would never happen again.
0: And so it goes on. There will be a public sworn inquiry into the disaster at Whitty as soon as the terms of reference and the composition of the inquiry can be agreed. The positions of Gulf Oil and the French National Petroleum Company total have been stated with both sides disclaiming responsibility for a disaster which has caused unknown millions of pounds worth of damage, claimed to the lives of fifty people apart altogether from raising the spectres of unknown fears and doubts in the minds of not only Bantry people, but in the minds of people throughout the whole country. Expert opinion told us that the Betelgeuse was in perfect operational condition on its arrival at Bantry. Expert opinion is also available to the effect that the Gulf oil terminal at Whiddy was well up to the required standards, technically and safety-wise. Why, then, did the explosion occur? Facts and circumstances have to be interpreted. Interpretations can be varied, and people wonder. One presumes and expects that when the findings of the public sworn inquiry are published, strong recommendations will be made for the tightening up of the safety regulations and the improvement of the technical facilities at Whitty. Last July... After the Spanish road tanker explosion, in which 200 people lost their lives, the Minister for Transport and Tourism, Mr Faulkner, said that priority would be given to the finalising of regulations governing the storage, transportation and handling of explosive and dangerous substances. But what happened at Whitty on the morning of Monday the 8th last was not just the frightening result of a set of circumstances that occurred there. Surely it was the culmination of a set of circumstances that began much farther away than that. The gods of profit in the oil business spin their speculative threads from far-flung foreign peaks. Can any regulations we impose have effect on them? Meanwhile, Whiddy Islanders, unsure and afraid of further unknown dangers, are seeking assurances from Gulf Oil which will enable them to continue living on the island. And Bantry men, who now have some conception of the dangers, must accept expert opinions and continue to work on the terminal. They need the jobs. And women in Bantry and Balladahob, Borland and goline Glengareth, and other villages in the area will sit and wait and perhaps remember the words of the Bantry girls' lament, "Oh, who will till the fields now and who will cut the corn?